So it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation to come. My name is John Stroop. Um, I am the director for Freeway Ministries. We are uh, a ministry that plugs into local churches. We have several things we do. But one of the things that we do is um, we, we introduce people to Jesus. We make disciples that make disciples. Um, and we plug people into local churches. So we have evangelistic outreaches that meet on traditional non-church nights um, with that goal of preaching the gospel, introducing people to a relationship with Jesus, plugging them into the local church, and then making disciples that make disciples. We have homes for people to live in called discipleship homes. Um, we have one, two, three, four, five in southern Missouri. Uh, one of them's in Marshfields called The Ranch for Men. Um, one is in the south side of Springfield for men. We have two for women in Springfield, one in Ash Grove, Missouri, one in o o Omaha, Nebraska, and then one in Cape Town, South Africa now. And um, so God has just called, called me to preach from a prison cell in 2008. I was homeless. I was a drug addict, um, given up on by the world, first-generation Christian, didn't know any Christians, family wasn't Christian, I was born in the dope game, grew up in it. My mom and I were crime partners together. Um, she's my best friend, didn't have a dad. It is what it is. And uh, turned to drugs and drug dealing and then became a dope fiend drug addict. And I just became a dope fiend. And, um, but, so that's my story briefly. Um, God has rescued me. I've been clean uh, since, since I went to prison June 2008. And I've uh, been out of prison since September 2009. Um, I live in Springfield. That's where our, our home base is, where we operate out of. And uh, so I'm excited to talk about Jesus. Uh, I don't do much in testimony. I, I, I love to share my story and share what God has done because it gives him glory. But at the same time, I don't want to take anything from him. And I don't want to give the devil airtime. And so I'm not, I don't, I'm not a war story guy. So, so let's, let's pray and let's talk about Jesus, okay? So, Father, I thank you, Lord, today that you are a good God. I thank you, Lord, today that you are not, the God who's, not a God who sees as a man sees. You, you see the heart, God. You, you are a God who shows favor on who you show favor. That is who you are, God. And I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be here tonight. I will not argue with you, Lord. I just ask God that you would... Just do whatever you want to do here. I pray if there's lost people here today that truly have never been changed by you. They may have said a prayer. They may have dunked, been dunked in the baptismal. Um, they may have grown up in church, God. They may have, whatever the case, but Father, they've never been radically changed by Jesus. I just pray, Lord, that somebody in this room tonight would be saved. And I pray for that church member who's just going through the motions, put it in cruise. I just pray, God, that you put them out of their comfort zone tonight and that they would make a declaration to surrender to you. So, Father, whatever you want to do here, I'm just, I'm, I just want to be obedient to you, and I just pray that you'd have your way. I pray that you'd move me out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just wanted to show you this. Uh, it's my book, From the Pit to the Pulpit. Uh, it's my story. It's God's story. Um, it's also a small group book. Um, it's a discipleship book. It has, uh, it's more about God and other people than it is about me. Uh, we have those back there. And then there's shirts. We have a model to show off that shirt. Knucklehead right there. See that? Freeway ministry knucklehead. So 
we, we don't have all sizes. We have some of those shirts back there if you'd like a shirt. So I want to talk about uncomfortable Christianity. Uncomfortable Christianity. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, we can, we can uh, go to Acts chapter 9. We're going to read verses 10 through 19. Acts chapter 9, 10 through 19. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. To him the Lord said in a vision. Ananias, and Ananias said, here I am, Lord. Sometimes it's good to do that, you know it. And the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire the house, the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he's praying. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias. So, so God's basically saying, he's seen you coming, right? And putting, putting his hands on, on him so that he might receive his sight. So he says, Saul knows you're coming. He's seen it. I showed him. Verse 13. And Ananias answered and said, Lord, I've heard uh, from many about this man, how, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, and how here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. God, he has a search warrant in his pocket for my arrest. I know why he's here. I know what he's done. What's he doing? He's arguing with God. Verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the kings, the Jews, and the Gentiles. The children of Israel. I, I will show him how much how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and he entered the house and laid his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road came. As you came, sent me to receive your sight. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He received his sight at once and then he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days at Damascus with the disciples. What's the most valuable thing we possess today? There's a church answer, and then there's an honest answer, right? So in my opinion, I would say life. Life is the most valuable thing that people would say. If you took a, a poll in our country, they would say life. I would also say that there's probably a lot of people who would, if they were be honest, even in church, even in this room, we would say comfort. Comfort's valuable. Think about it. The more comfortable something is, the more of a demand it brings. They advertise shoes and pillows and beds and car seats and easy chairs, right? And, and they heat up and they, they cool down and they massage and they go back and forth and they, got, they, they compete the most comfortable shoe, the most comfortable chair. How many, how many people in here do we have? How many, uh, how many blanket girls are here today, right? You're a blanket girl. Like, that's your blanket. Don't touch it, right? Don't touch my blanket. My wife is a blanket girl. And for her, for Mother's Day, I bought her the most soft, softest blanket I could find. And she's greedy. She doesn't share it. It's her blanket, right? Don't touch it. Don't cover up with it. It's comfortable. But when you think of Christianity, does comfort come to mind? Enjoyment, physical comfort, life of ease, free from struggle, no resistance, convenience, 
if I was going to ask you a question, in your personal opinion, in the whole entire New Testament, or let's just say the Bible, who shook the world the most for God? How about the New Testament? Who, who did the most? Like, who did God use besides Jesus, right, to, 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 to shake the world? Most people would probably say Paul. In my personal opinion, Paul is the apostle of the apostles. Like, he's the one that was born out of due time. Least of all, he called himself. I am the worst of sinners. I am the number one. I am the chief, Paul said. But I'm going to talk to you today about a man who, who didn't write anything. There are no Bible songs about him. I got saved in prison, reading a Bible, looking for bad guys. I wanted to know what Jesus did with bad guys because I was one. And, and when I read my Bible and I found out that we're all bad. That's pretty good news to a bad guy. And, and, and so when I found out there, there's none good, no, not one, that got me excited. And so when I began to look through the Bible, I, I, I said, God, can God use a man like me? And then I found out that God cannot only use a man like me, but God called men like me by name. And, and so that got me excited. And, and, and as, I, as I rolled through the Bible, Paul became a hero to me. And I didn't know praise songs. I didn't even know they had rock and roll praise music, man. I, I thought I'm going to be stuck singing out of a hymnal for the rest of my life. But, but I'm going to do it anyway because I want to walk with God. And, and so, um, but Ananias, this guy, he made a huge impact on the world for Jesus. How would you feel? If Jesus showed up at your door and he said, I want you to go to Mosul, Iraq, and I want you to go to the leader of ISIS, and I want you to tell him something for me, would you do it? That's who Paul was. He was a terrorist. Don't kid yourself. He chained up Christians, he persecuted Christians. He had a letter in his pocket to give him permission to go there, chain them up, drag them to prison. Many of them would die. And, and Ananias knew people who he killed. Ananias knew people who he persecuted. And, and Ananias did it anyway. Place yourself there for a minute. Ananias is gone by himself. His heart's beating. He goes down to that street. He opens the door. He walks into that room. He puts his hand on him. Here's the kicker. He called him brother. Jesus didn't tell him to do that. That's what kind of heart he had. And because of one man willing to get uncomfortable, we have an apostle Paul. We have 13 books of the New Testament. We have the missionary of all missionaries because of one man. See, I'm not here looking for a group. I'm here looking for one. Church, your blessing is one step out of your comfort zone. That's what we have. You know what I wish I could have seen, preacher? I wish I could have seen the look on those stiff-necked Baptist people's face when, when Ananias said, we got a visitor for dinner. I wish I could have been at the baptismal when they were baptizing Paul. I bet you if Ananias would have took a vote, nobody would have voted on what he did. If he would have formed a committee, it wouldn't have worked out. But he didn't. 
My purpose is to share what God has done, will do, and continues to do through people who are willing to get uncomfortable. Here's the first thing, and I think I've went really long, and I haven't even got to my first point, so I'm trying to be, be on point here and respectful of your time, but obedience is not about comfort. First thing, obedience is not about comfort. What does God bless? God blesses obedience. That's the number one thing. God blesses obedience. God blesses obedience to what? What the church says, what tradition says, how you dress, what Bible version you read. No. God blesses obedience to his word. Tell you a story. I was in prison, and all I wanted was somebody to write me. I wanted a real Christian on the outside to answer these questions. Who's the queen of Sheba? Right? She's there. Uh, what's the book of Asher? I don't know what that is. Right? The book of Jasher. What is that? Um, all these questions I had about the Bible. I'm, I'm learning the Bible, and, and I'm dead broke on prison welfare. I have no visits. I had no phone calls. I had no one writing me letters. I was the, I was the lonely guy on state tip of $5 a month. I bought five postage stamps, a stick of the owner, and a stick of toothpaste. I was alone in prison. In a lonely, lonely place. And um, I got a cellmate. And he said, I know somebody you could write. I got this guy, Dewey Houston. He's a missionary, retired. He'll write you. So I borrowed a stamp. And I wrote him. Guess what he did? I sent that letter off and he sent one back. And so I sent him another one and he sent one back. And we, we developed a friendship. And for 18 months, this old man wrote me every week. Five postage stamps, a stick of deodorant, and a stick of toothpaste. I washed my hair with Bob Barker hand soap. I didn't have enough money to buy shampoo because I wanted those postage stamps to write this old man. He helped me get into a, a halfway house in Cuba, Missouri, and I got out of prison, and I called this old man up, and I said, I said, Dewey Houston, it's John Stroop. You wrote me for 18 months, and you never knew me. Thank you, Dewey. He said, I've been writing prisoners for 13 years, and you're the first one to get out and thank me. I thought what you're thinking. How could you keep doing that? What if he would have quit? See, Dewey brought me to Springfield. I stayed my first night in Springfield in the living room floor, him and his wife in his 70s. You should have seen the look on his wife's face when we came walking in that night. Woo! She looked at me like he's going to cut me up and put me in little pieces in the freezer, brother. And, and I, I laid down in the floor of that house, and I looked at the ceiling fan. She made a pallet, and the ceiling fan went around and around and around, and I thought, God, put me here. He was criticized for writing those people. <laughs> those people, his fruit's standing right here now. Been all over the world to preach the gospel. Started off in a shelter, had nothing. It was that old man. He passed away in 2012. And we started a, do, a, a newsletter with all his prison addresses called the Dewey. See, that's him. They go to prisoners all over America. 
Dewey's food is here today. Why? Because he got uncomfortable. The famous words of a dying church, don't you miss this, we've never done it that way before. We've never done it that way before. Think of Ananias arguing with Saul. You think it was you think it was comfortable? Lord, you don't know this man. You don't know what he's done. You don't know his rap sheet. Have you seen his tattoos? Can you show me where God uses anyone from a position of comfort? Can you show me anywhere where God uses a lazy person to do anything in the Bible? It's not here. How about Saul? How do you think he felt when Ananias took him for dinner with the very people he came to arrest? All alone, sitting at the table with those people. See, it's about obedience. I think there's somebody listening to the sound of my voice and you are are on the edge of something God has called you to do. And you're listening to the voice of all these people, these negative people. You're allowing the voice of man to contradict the voice of God. Let me tell you something. Sometimes there's a chance for you to do one time. And if you miss the moment, it's gone. Prove it from the Bible, preacher. Thanks for asking that question. Go to the book of Numbers. They had one moment to do what God called them to do, and they missed it. And they said, I'll go back again. And he said, he's not with you anymore. It's too late. Abraham, leave where you're from, not knowing where you're going. He did it. Where are we going, honey? I don't plan well. I don't know. God said, pack it up and go. And he'll tell me on the way. Moses, Joseph, you kidding me? He's in the hole and listening to him. Kill him, don't kill him. Sell him, don't sell him. Kill him. Sold into slavery, put in prison for doing the right thing. See, those are the people God uses. Moses was on the run for murder. There was posters all over Egypt. Egypt's most wanted. All he had was a promise and a stick. And he took on the Pharaoh. With no army, no plan, just a promise from God. Those are the people God uses. They were obedient. And the second thing is, you got to walk by faith. You got to walk by faith. God uses people who walk by faith. Jesus said, I'm going to paraphrase this, verse 15. I'm I'm calling Saul to share my testimony, to share the testimony of me in front of all people, and he will be severely uncomfortable for the rest of his life. That was Paul's calling. God placed Saul, who would be Paul, in one uncomfortable position after another uncomfortable position for his entire ministry. My definition of faith is doing the right thing when everything doesn't make sense or add up. Warren Wiersbe says, a faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. I was in the Harbor House, Salvation Army, 2009. I got out of prison. I had nothing. All I had was a prison Bible, my faith in Jesus, and this crazy old man. I entered the Harbor House, and and I get up early in the morning. I was in a big bay with 20 men. 
And, and you couldn't turn the light on at, at a certain time because if you did, there was going to be a fight. So I would get out of my bed. I'd return to my pillow. And underneath that pillow, there was a flashlight. And I'd get my hand on that flashlight and I'd turn that flashlight. I'd spread my fingers and I'd get a little bit of light. I'd get up. It was still dark outside. I'd shine that flashlight with, through my fingers on that locker and I'd get my combination and I'd unlock it. And guess what was in there? My Bible. My commentaries. I'd open that thing up. I'd get my Bible, my commentaries, and I'd shimmy. If you can imagine me doing that, I'd do that. I'd shimmy out of that thing, and I'd go into the day room in the dark. 636 North Boonville Avenue, Salvation Army Harbor House. And as I sit in that, and I sit in that chow hall, there was a Coke machine, and it had a broken C on it. And that broken C shined just enough on that table to where I could open my Bible. I could study my notes. I could read my commentary. I'd get up and I'd go put five job applications in every day. I'd say, give me a job nobody wants and I'll do it better than anybody's ever done it. They looked at me like, you are, you should be on the most wanted picture, right? I got my first bell, my job ringing a bell for the Salvation Army. I was the happiest bell ringer you ever seen on the south side of Springfield, Jack. I ring that thing. I look like a halfway homeless man with hand-me-down clothes. I had a pair of tennis shoes that said Pookie on the side of them. Somebody named Pookie gave them to somebody who gave them to me. But I had faith. I had faith. The structure I followed in, in that program, the structure God put in my heart today, is being used in our discipleship houses. Today, there are about 30 men and women in Missouri living underneath that structure. Each one of those 30 people are saving you $44.50 a day by not being in jail. They're all working full time. They're all being discipled. They're all serving the Lord. Hey, you got to put an hour and a half a week in serving the Lord or you can't live in the house. You get kicked, you go, you don't show up at church, you get kicked out. You'd have a lot of homeless church members today if that was the case, wouldn't it? Right? It all comes from that structure. Being uncomfortable. Ananias is arguing, and Jesus said, Go. He said, God can't use those kind of people. Let me tell you something. You are not reading the Bible if you believe that. The first evangelist was a butt-naked lunatic in the tombs. Homeless man. Jesus called him to preach the gospel. That's according to the Bible. Jesus called him to preach, went through a storm, sent him back to where he's from. The first evangelist was, a, was a, the butt-naked lunatic. The first missionary was a woman at a well that had six or more relationships, and none of them was her husband. His disciples came back with a happy meal. She came back with a harvest. Right? And then how about those 11 hillbillies from Galilee? I know I'm in Hartville. Some of you need to be excited about that, man. God can use a hillbilly from Galilee. God can use you. That's the Bible. That's the Bible I read. That's the Bible I got saved reading. And the last thing is you never know what God could do if somebody's willing to get uncomfortable. First time I experienced church as a saved man, I, I was in Cuba, Missouri, in between Stillville and Cuba, right in the middle 
I walked past a, a church and I seen the number and I was looking for work and I was trying to find a job down there. There wasn't no work. And I called this little church and, and I said, would you come get me? I want to go to church, man. I met a, I read about these people and they were in the Bible and, and they met daily. They were one accord, one mind. Nothing they had was their own. They continued in the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of bread. They went house to house. Nobody had a need, Cody. I was like, whoa, I can't wait to meet these people. I heard this little crunching sound coming up the, the gravel in Cuba, and I'm like, man, here comes the church. They're going to pick me up. I got my Bible, my recovery Bible. It had no front, no bind, no back. I read it in half. It was my prison Bible. And this little old lady pulled up there. It was just me and her. I got on that bus, and I could hear the whistle from gun smoke. And she was scared of me. And I was scared of her because she was scared of me, and now we're both scared of each other. I'm in the back, she's in the front, scared, riding to church. When I went to church, I started going to church in Springfield. I wore turtlenecks on Sunday because I was embarrassed of my tattoos. And I wore a turtleneck every Sunday. And I only had one or two turtlenecks. And they said, why do you always wear turtlenecks? I'd say, I like turtlenecks. <laughs> I didn't like turtlenecks. People stared at me like I was going to steal the wallet. I wouldn't talk to people. Somebody said, how are you going to be a preacher if you won't talk to people? I said, I don't know. And then I began to hug them when they stared at me. And they would be my friend or they'd leave me alone. But we continued, continued, continued. I never quit. I always kept going, kept going, kept going. Paul's life was that way. He kept going. He kept going. Here's his testimony. I'll paraphrase it. You want to be used by God? Listen to that. This is, this is the way to do it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. With far greater labors, with far more imprisonment, with countless beatings often, with near death often. There goes all that blab it and grab it, name it and claim it garbage. Verse 24, five times I was at the hands of the Jews beaten, 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with a rod. I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, shipwrecked a day and a night at the sea adrift in frequent journeys from in, in rivers, dangers in rivers, and dangers from robber, robbers, and dangers of my own people, and dangers of the Gentiles, and dangers of the city, and dangers in the wilderness, and dangers in the sea, and dangers from false brethren, and toil and hardship and sleepless nights. I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was without food, I was cold and exposed. Apart from other things, there is pressure on me and anxiety every day for all the churches. We should be ashamed of ourselves. We don't get persecuted, guys. Come on. We get inconvenienced. Corey Blake said, if your gospel isn't touching other people, it never touched you. See, we need to step out. Today we have six freeway meetings. Four in southern Missouri, one in Oklahoma, one in Omaha, Nebraska. We feed, clothe, preach the gospel to 800 to 1,000 people every single week. I'm standing here today because an old man wrote prisoners for 13 years and he never quit. See, his motivation wasn't hand claps or thank yous or spotlights. He never had a podcast or a Facebook page. His motivation was the faithfulness of God. God is faithful to bless what he says he blesses. 
and stand against what he says he stands against. I was in prison. My last, my last thing I'll say, I only got one last point, I promise. I just want you to know when God, God is sovereign, what's that mean? He is the governor of the universe. The beginning and the end, there is no time. God is, God is, he is the I am, right? Self-existent, always has been, always will be. He is in control. God worked on Saul here. God worked on Ananias here. God's sovereignty was at work in both their lives to bring them together for his purpose. When I was in prison, I wanted somebody to write. I told you that. Before I met my cellmate, David Hubman, I used to go to church. I go to the Christian non-denomination church in Fulton, FRDC. I was there six months in, in June of 2018. Hot. So hot you could feel the paint off the walls. So hot the walls sweat in that place. There was a Catholic mass where all the homeboys got out of their, their, their units and they meet together and they'd, they'd pass notes and dope and talk. And then there was a Christian non-denomination where each housing unit was let out one at a time and it was in the very back of the gym. And that's where people went who were serious. That's where I was at. I was that annoying guy that went to the, the pastor every single service and was the first one to get there, the last one to leave, always had him pray the same thing over me every single time. You know that guy? That was me. And my, my prayer was, I need somebody to write. I need a real Christian on the outside. I need somebody uh, who can answer questions for me. And, and all I want is a, a, a place to start over. I'm from Jeff City. I'm not going back. And one day he prayed for me and I left. And guess what I found on the walk? I found a note. I picked it up. And it was an address to a church. I was like, woo! I ran back in there and I said, look, an answer to prayer. It's an address to a church. We just prayed about this, man. I had faith. He was pessimistic. I went back to my cell and I borrowed, a, I borrowed seven pieces of paper, a uh, Postcard, or po uh, uh, an envelope and a stamp because seven pieces of paper goes out. We know that if you're in prison. And so I wrote this church a letter. I said, oh, man, you know, this is who I am, and this is what happened, and blah, 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 blah. And I took that folded up piece of paper, and I put it in that letter, and I sent it out. I never heard back from that church. I ended up going to Bowling Green Prison not too long after that. In Bowling Green Prison, the first day I went in the wrong housing unit. I hit the button. I said, I'm in the, I'm in the wrong housing unit. They said, we'll be right there. They put me in handcuffs. For out of bounds, they took me to the hole. I'm walking with my chains on. I thought Christianity was like a country song played backwards, man. As long as you're doing what you're supposed to do, you get your car back, your house back, your wife back, your job back, everything back. That's not the case. I'm thinking, God, why are you doing this to me? Man, I'm prayed up, I'm on my knees, I'm reading your word, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, I'm believing in you, God, what is this, what is going on? They put me in the hole, and they took my blow-up picture, and they put it on the door, slid it down above another guy's picture. They said my name, John Stroop. They opened that chuck hole, and they said, walk backwards and put your hands out of the chuck hole, and I seen these big old hands come out. They handcuffed them. They said, go to the other end of the cell. I went in there. Guess what I met in there? A giant Mr. Rogers. 
He said, are you John Stroop? I've never seen this guy in my life. I said, I am. He said, from Fulton, Missouri? I'm from Jeff City, but I was in Fulton. He said, oh, it's so good to have a messenger of God in here with me today. I thought, giant Mr. Rogers is crazy. And I need to get my handcuffs off before giant Mr. Rogers gets his handcuffs off. And so I get my handcuffs off, and he gets his handcuffs off, and he says, let me tell you a story. He said, I'm in here for life. I might get out one day. The other day I was walking on the prison yard, and they come and arrested me and put me in the hole because I got a new charge. My new charge carries another life sentence. I'm never getting out. He said, I was arraigned and went to my hometown. And when I went to my hometown and I was arraigned, I planned on coming back here and killing myself. And I told God, if you're real and you really love me, you better show me a sign. He said, the day I was going to leave, my pastor came to visit me. His name is Robert. His pastor said, Robert, do you know a guy named John Stroop? He said, I don't know anybody named John Stroop. He said, well, it's strange because you're the only person we know that's been to Fulton Prison and we received this letter to our church with a note that this guy found in Fulton Prison and you're the only one we know. See, I thought I wrote that letter for me. I thought my obedience was for me, was not about me. It was about Robert. See, while God's working on you, he's also working on someone else. What's God put on your heart? What's he calling you to do? Maybe some of you tell, you know what this is, guys? Here. This is called an altar. You know what an altar is? A place of death. Things don't live on the altar. Things don't come back from the altar. Things die there. Have you had a funeral for yourself? Have you buried yourself? Have you put your life on the cross? Have you been resurrected? Do you know Jesus? Maybe you're faking it real good right now. This might be the moment of conviction in your life. Maybe God has called you to something. Maybe God has stirred your heart. Are you going to listen to the voices? Or are you going to listen to God? Would you bow your heads with me, please? I just invite the worship team to come. It's all about obedience. It's all about walking by faith. And you never know what God could do with just one person. With every head down and every eye closed. Are you willing to take that step out of your your comfort your comfort zone? Church member, what's God calling you to do? What are you waiting for? You only got one chance, one life. Maybe you're here because your girlfriend made you come. Maybe you're here because your boyfriend made you come, your family made you come. Maybe you've grown up in church your whole life. The Bible says that if any man or woman be in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things are new. Christ doesn't leave you like he finds you. I know God changed my life radically. If you were run over with a Mack truck, you'd never be the same again. 
you come in contact with Jesus, you'll never be the same again. Have you been changed by God? Today's the day. (laughs) It's the night for you. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask that you would open your hearts up for whatever God has for you. I would ask that you would be willing and obedient to surrender, to come and just say, God, what would you have me to do today? That thing you're asking me to do that seems crazy, I'm ready, God. I'm going to sign a blank contract with you tonight and you fill it out. You fill it out, God. Father, the will of God is the word of God. And the plan of God comes from following your word. And so, Father, I don't know exactly what the plan is for these people here in Hartville, but I know what your word is, God. And your word says that the word of God is the sword of the spirit, not the sword of the preacher, not the sword of the Baptist, not the sword of the Pentecostal, but the sword of the spirit of God. Faith comes from hearing, O God, and hearing by your word. And I pray, Lord, over every person listening to the sound of my voice, I know your word has gone forth. And it will accomplish what it set forth, Lord God, like the rain from heaven. And I just ask, God, that you would take that prideful person and break them down right now. I pray that you would crush them under conviction from your Holy Spirit into a place of submission and surrender. And, oh, God, would you do what no man could do? Would you do something impossible tonight, oh, God? In Jesus' name, amen.